Hey everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and we have a very exciting episode for us and all of you today. Uh, we are breaking down and talking about the new Top Gun movie, uh, the new Tom Cruise epic, his first hundred million dollar film. Uh, opening weekend uh, big day for him big day for all of us in order to do so though i have two pilots here who are very very excited to get high in the skies and uh, fly as fast as possible to uh, talk about this first off we've got our uh, our leader in chief mr brian lee brian welcome back to the show i've got the need for speed Nice. And we've got a, a newcomer here, though. Some of you may be familiar if you've been following Babu's freaking podcast. We have Mike Kiati Ruby here with us. Mike, first time on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me here. I'll be your wingman anytime. <laughs> I was <laughs> BS. You can be mine. Uh, the, one of my favorite lines from the movie. So uh, as we dive in, we'll, uh, what I'd like to start off with is at least just talking a little bit about kind of the, the buildup and the hype towards this movie, because uh, I'm not a huge Top Gun fan. I, I watched the first Top Gun movie. I'm sure I saw it at one point or another when I was young, but I watched it for quote unquote the first time, probably like 10 years ago. So, and I haven't seen it since, uh, but I have seen all the memes, the videos. So I, I know all the hot spots. I, I have some favorite scenes in there. And I was telling you guys before we started, uh, I am a huge Hot Shots fan. So uh, that first Hot Shots movie was a spoof of Top Gun. I actually saw that before I saw Top Gun. So there was a lot of scenes when I was watching Top Gun. I was like, that's from Hot Shots, knowing that it wasn't. But uh, so that's kind of where I'm at on it. I, I was not uh, necessarily looking forward to this movie, only in the sense of, Again, I wasn't a huge fan, so this movie wasn't really made for me. Uh, but going to see it, and we'll talk about it, uh, a little bit of my opinion has changed on that. And I'm, I'm very excited to uh, to talk about that. But, Brian, we'll start with you up at the top. Uh, what is your Top Gun story? What's going on? I, I couldn't even tell you my Top Gun origin story. It's been a movie that I've loved since literally I was born. It came out two years before I was born. Um I grew up on this film. I learned a lot of words from this film. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that, but I legitimately, the nostalgia rang true with Top Gun Maverick. Every nostalgia note they hit landed with me because Top Gun, I've said it many times. I need to actually like come up with my top 10 favorite films of all time, but I am comfortable in saying Top Gun's on it. Um, wow. And they replicated the film updated it for 2022 i can't say i love maverick as much as i do the first but that's just because i love the first one so much yeah kind of like star wars right would you maybe equate it to uh new hope and force awakens in a sense of kind of the same yeah. not exactly but it's giving you those vibes you're looking for that's a that's a decent way to put it yeah that's a that's a good way to put it i like that okay mike what about you uh like brian i'm i'm uh, a wee bit older than than Brian, but the the same experience for me. I've been been watching Top Gun uh, virtually on repeat since I was a kid. Uh, I, I didn't see it on the big screen. I was a little too young for that, but uh, it was a a steady staple of uh, the VHS rentals in uh, in our household. Uh, so I've I've known this backwards and forwards since I was young. So the anticipation for this um, was extremely high. Um, seeing the the release date get kicked back every six months uh, throughout the course of the last two years since the pandemic was obviously disappointing. You know, you'd go to the theater to see whatever action movie and they'd play the the two minute theatrical trailer where they do the behind the scenes and you're 
chomping at the bit to get at it. And they're like, oh, just kidding. It's kind of like how Morbius just kept going backwards and backwards, except I was actually looking forward to Top Gun as opposed to Morbius. <laughs> right. Um, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm with Brian. This is this is somewhere in the, the, the top 10-ish range of movies for me over time. I, I just think there's... It is such a cultural touchstone and it's just such an exciting movie and the, the, the practical filmmaking. So uh, I, I studied film in college. It's part of what I do professionally is, is in video production and filmmaking. So what they were able to accomplish in this was just so darn exciting. And so I, I'm, I'm perhaps a step beyond like as much as I, I loved the force awakens, but for me, I think this is, even a step beyond what force awakens was for me, you know, when you compare it back to the kind of the relationship of the original, I, I'm blown away that that's how well this, man, this is, but I was, I was saying this to Brian the other night, this is by far my favorite film that I've seen on a screen um, since Endgame. I, the, 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 the the repeat watch value on this movie for me is huge. The movie was done and I, I literally wanted to do like, you know, Grandpa Simpson walking in and out of the uh, the brothel. I wanted to roll right back in and sit down for a second viewing, um, knowing that it's it's actually more age appropriate than the original Top Gun for my nine year old. And I saw this when I was seven. Um, I want to bring my son back to see it because I just think that the the aerial photography is just going to blow his mind. Um, I'm going to hold back so that we can keep talking about other stuff. But suffice to say um i am i am a massive super fan of this film yeah oh that's great i'm glad like i said i'm glad to have you guys on because i needed some experts to help break this down otherwise i would have been flying blind um again i I think i enjoyed this movie quite a bit though and i'm really excited to dive in so what we'll do is we'll start off with uh, i think you kind of alluded there a little bit mike to uh overall thoughts of this film um and i I was telling brian before the show started this is this is probably my overall thought for this film so i've had this issue on prior episodes talking about nostalgia and film talking about remakes and reboots and and trying to cash in on people's propensity to want those things which again you can do it really tastefully and there's other times where you can't do it as tastefully and i think I'm happy with what we got with this. Again, for someone who wasn't asking for it, I I enjoyed the meal, you could say. But what made me happier was in this theater, um, and this was Memorial Day. I saw it uh, yesterday. I saw it at 1230, and it was a packed Dolby theater. Uh, And I was like, really? So who's going to see this movie? And it was a like I I saw some of the, uh, you know, veteran hats, a lot of uh, military people and some older individuals as well. And they lit this theater up. I felt like I was in a Marvel movie and I loved that. And there was a piece of me where I was like, you know what? There's some, there's some bits of this I wasn't a fan of in terms of like, come on, you, you just did that scene in the last movie sort of thing. But then to hear them all cheer for those bits and get super excited. And I was telling Brian, there's the guy sitting literally next to me when uh, Tom Cruise goes in, uh, he goes in, he's working on his plane, that old timey plane. The guy next to me knew exactly what it was. He whispered it under his breath and went, oh, hell yeah. And I was just like, this is great. Like, I, I'm really happy that, you know, there's people who love the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies. But now you got the people who love planes and <laughs> who love, you know, that sort of thing, which I, it was great. I'm part of that. I my the most exciting thing I had seeing the trailer was the scene with the stealth ship. Because I was like, ooh, like, is he is Tom Cruise going into space? And, uh, you know, honestly, that might have been a little bit of a missed opportunity almost. And, and maybe we can start there when we start with it. But just safe to say, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, and that 
to the point where there was maybe some bits where I was getting annoyed with it. The last hour of that movie saved all of it for me. And I can't say anything bad about it in that sense, because that, that final, the, the thing you're prepping for the entire film was awesome. And it was so well shot. It was a it was adrenaline rush. It was emotional. Uh, it was, just, it was great. So like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and Mike, we'll start with you and go back up to Brian. Sure. I, I mean, I, I think you can tell from my, uh, my short introduction there. I, I loved everything about this film. And I think there are a couple things that stuck with me about why they we're going to have, we're going to have airplane puns throughout this whole thing. So I'm going to go that how they, they stuck the landing. Um, I think first and foremost is there is an authenticity to the film. I think you touched on it really well when you said, when you said, you know, there was a veteran sitting beside you who called out the airplane there was such a demand from Tom Cruise that if this was going to be the way that it was done, that it had to be real. No green screens, very few effect shots. All the flying are real pilots with real technology. The, the actors are physically in F-18 Hornets being driven to those G's. They had to direct themselves. They were given cameras and Tom Cruise and Joseph Kaczynski, the, the director, sat down with them ahead of going up there to talk about what they needed to get. And if they didn't get it, then it was like, all right, go puke and then hop back in the airplane because you're going back up. At eleven thousand um, dollars an hour is what those planes were being rented at. Wow. Yeah, and it's and that, but it's the same level of authenticity that the first film had, which they did similarly. They they went up in the F-14 Tomcats and they they got they got the footage that they needed, and that's why it rang so true. And so here, the level of performance, the level of authenticity with the technology, you know, it's there's something there that you can tell when something doesn't smell right. And when they're just after it for the money. And the fact is, you know, they waited 30 years to be able to get this thing, right. That rung true for me. The second is I love the simplicity of it. They didn't try and overcomplicate the plot. They didn't try and undercomplicate the plot. They made it very clear what was going to happen. And it's in a lot of ways, you know, to use Tom Cruise canon, it's very much like a Mission Impossible movie. They set up right at the very beginning, once they introduce, there is one life or death mission that has to happen and everybody may not come back alive. And so where I actually think that this film is a bit more successful than the original is that, you know, when you go back and look at it, like there aren't a lot of stakes in the original Top Gun movie until the last act. It's a bunch of guys who were going and competing for a trophy to be called the best pilot in the Navy. Like, that's groovy. I think, I think Goose would argue with that. Goose may argue with that. He felt that, you know, he felt his future was riding on it. But um, the fact is, like, they're out to save the world. And at the very least, they're out to save their team. And so I love just the simplicity of that storytelling. Um, that worked really well for me. And then, you know, the nostalgia of it, I felt they handled very well because they treated it less like, here are a bunch of callbacks. They actually used the plot formula to their advantage. So whereas, like, I think The Force Awakens and similar films that have that have rebooted a franchise, you end up getting these callbacks and people say, ah, it's too samey because they just deviate from it slightly. Here, Top Gun just owned it. It was like an episode of Law & Order, which is one of my favorite television shows. Law & Order, you know that you're going to sit down and for 20 minutes you're going to get Law and then for 20 minutes, you're going to get order and you're going to get some stuff in between. And I take comfort 
in that formula, when I sit down, like I'll watch that over something that I should be watching brand new because I know what I'm getting. Um, thank you, Brian. So satisfying. I loved that just like an episode of Law and Order when I know that I'm going to get the theme song. Do, 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 like this started with Harold, Harold Feldermeyer's theme. We got the same scrawl the way that we get you know long time ago far far away in star wars or we get the law and order crawl that comes up these are their stories and then it was kenny Loggins' danger zone and we're on the deck of 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 an aircraft carrier and then here comes our new chapter of what top gun is it i get chills i it just did i have geek chills i apologize but like those the authenticity the format and the simplicity of it for me just really just hit home so so hard that's awesome. Brian, what about you? I don't love Miles Teller. So I came into this movie a little bit nervous because I needed, I love the character of Goose. He's my favorite character from the original film. So I needed this to work for me. And 99% of it did. I think they pulled the right heartstrings. We got great balls of fire right when we needed it to pull Mav back in. All that stuff really worked for me. The only one that didn't work for me was at the very end when they're in the F 14 Tomcat. And he says, come on, Mav, let's see some of that pilot stuff. Rooster shouldn't have said that because Rooster's a pilot. Like, that's my only complaint. But beyond that, I just just don't love Miles Teller, punchable face. I've said it before. But he was was very, very convincing as Goose's kid. Um, It really worked for me. The, The one thing that I was, they didn't explain it right away of why didn't he... Why, why did he pull his papers? Was he just being protective? And then they pulled Meg Ryan into it, and it was kind of her dying wish. And it's like, oh, well, okay, then I get it. And and Mav's whole thing is, I can't tell her, I can't tell him because then he'll resent her, just like he resents me. So, I, I I mean, everything with Goose's kid worked, and I and I loved it. But hands down, for me, the top moment of the entire film was Val Kilmer. That scene, because of what Val Kilmer is personally going through in his personal life, the fact that he did actually speak, he spoke through the computer, and then he actually mustered up the strength. That wasn't just a performance. That was Val Kilmer possibly giving us the last spoken words we'll ever hear from him. Um, And I really, really thought it was uh, super, super powerful, and I'm glad they were able to pull that off. Wow, I did not know that. So that enhances the movie a little bit more for me because I was a little, I mean, I got it of like, okay, yes, this all makes sense. But I was like, in the grand scheme of the plot, like why, if they could have done anything, why did they choose to have him have, you know, that condition? But if that is how he really had in real life, then that's awesome. He's, he survived throat cancer. So there, okay, there's a there pretty remarkable uh, documentary that he and his son put together about his life on Hulu. Um, strongly recommend checking that out. And he speaks in that, um, but it's 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 very very strained. And so the majority of the voiceover is done by his son because he sounds like him. Um, and they go, they go through the, the the health battles that he's had, and you forget what a force of nature he was as a as a movie star in the early '90s, um, back to back to back. So the fact that he could give an authentic performance in this, um, and thankfully, you know, Knockwood. He's he's not going to die anytime soon, you know. To, to Brian's point about last words, it might be the last things he says on film. Right, um, that's that's what I meant. Yeah, but it, I I loved that scene for what Brian just said, but I also loved it because 
there were so few words said and yet so much was said. Yeah. Like Tom Cruise is carrying that scene from a verbal perspective, but there's no less acting being done by Val Kilmer and the way that they staged that with the couple of things that he just points to on the computer screen. Like those are two guys who are truly, truly remarkable and did more in fewer words than you might see in a lot of other films. I, I was, I was thrilled with what they did with that. I thought it was very clever. He looked good too. I, I, he was very, I mean, even in the photos as well that they kept sharing out, I, I was, I just kept thinking like, he looks good for his age. Yeah. So I, knowing that now he looks really good. Well, the other thing that shocked me, you know, I, I thought about how well written that scene was, which blows my mind when you consider that there were three screenwriters on this film. And typically the more writers, it's, it's, it's like an inverse equation. The, the higher the writers, the lower the quality. Right. Um, so the fact that, there were that many people who had their hands in it through Hollywood. And you know that Tom Cruise obviously is very involved in whatever his material is, even if he's not getting screenwriting credit, um, you know, as a, as an executive producer. And I really like Aaron Kruger as a, as a, as a screenwriter. I was thrilled to see he was on there. Um, again, I think it's such a testament to the work that they were able to really dig in there and make something so successful, given all of the things that would usually make a sequel like this fall short. Yeah, and I think I think that's something that needs to be said too is that this is a movie that very easily could have just fallen short and been the next movie. Though kind of from what you've said and what I've heard too, I don't think he would have signed on Tom Cruise to do it if he'd have had any inkling of that just because I don't think he you know, you may not like the movies, but he doesn't do bad movies. Like he's not going to do a movie that's super bad just cuz I think he likes to keep his reputation that way. And it could I mean it paid off, right? I think I think it ended up making 162 million for the 4-day weekend, which is domestically awesome. it's done more than 300 worldwide. Yeah, and that's it's yeah. performing internationally, which is a surprise. I think to a lot of people it's a surprise that it's performing pretty well internationally. You could say it's it's on the road to hitting Mach 10. <laughs> Ten point. Um, and and speaking of which, well, so we'll start there because the movie kind of opens up with that. He gets called. He gets called back in. I guess what he's working as like a test pilot for this secret new ship, which was awesome. I mean, when I was growing up, my favorite ships were the uh, the SR seventy one and the uh, the what was the other one the the one that was the tinier version, the black one that was like a triangle, basically. Black Hawk, um, or, uh, the stealth bomber. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I just don't remember what its technical name is, but those were always my favorite because it was. I, I loved the sneaky ships, and so to see him flying that, I was like, "This is cool. This is great." And then, of course, we get some instant uh, uh, intensity of like, actually, they're shutting down the program unless we hit Mach 10. And so that was originally. I was like, "What? Like, okay, he's he's about to hit Mach 9, and and they want to cancel this just because he can't go to Mach 10." But of course, he'd be like, "Let's just go to Mach 10." And then he he goes and does it while, uh, uh, and that was Ed Harris, right? The yes. the guy. Yeah, it was a great little cameo by him. I thought that I thought that was really nice. So he's he's they make they got a lot of great people in this movie who ma who make really good military people in the movies. And hey, what bald there. guy can we cast to look like the bald guy from the first one? Yeah, right. Exactly. Though, again, mine, mine is, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was a comedian, the, the commander from Hot Shots, who uh, he uh, hits his head walking out the door. And he's like, sir, are you all right? And he was like, no, I got 10 tons of metal on my head from a surgery. Uh, he has to, he's always got like some weird surgery going on. I, I will be using uh, Hot Shot references as well throughout the show. So if it is a B2 stealth bomber, by the way, Alex. B2, there we go. Yes. Um, but yeah, I thought that whole scene was awesome. I was waiting for his face to break while he was going to Mach 10 uh, and it didn't. And But then I was waiting for the, 
actually it did blow up right it, uh but i was like oh is he gonna get it but it blew up after he hit mach 10 which was fine with me and uh just the classic maverick behavior uh, and i love that john ham called that out later on of just like you know, you've gotten away with literally everything in your life. You know, you, you, you've been, a, what is he, a captain? You've been a captain your whole life. You've never been promoted. And he says, well, look, maybe that's exactly where I need to be. Uh, but I, I thought it was cool. Great opening shot uh, established. the, And I don't know who his, his co guy was, but there was like the, the main leader Hondo. of the group. What was that? His name is Hondo. Han- yes. Hondo. Thank you. So Hondo followed him to the Navy Academy with him. Yeah, he probably brought him with him to help. Okay, I, I was just like, oh, they, they never mentioned what he was doing there, and I was like, I guess that he's just tagging along or something. But what'd you guys think of that opening one, Brian? I'll start with you. I think he was a mechanic. I think that's why they brought him along. Is he Hondo? He, yeah, yeah, he could work on the planes and and all that kind of stuff. I thought Hondo was great. I loved that Maverick was the captain of like in this. T- they use captain as a derogatory term throughout the film. In this sense, he is the captain of that team. That team genuinely loved him. They yeah. knew his personality and that they were that he was gonna push it beyond 10.1, 10.2. Like I was just giddy when they're getting ready and trying to race Ed Harris before he arrives on site. They did that shot once because it completely blew up the entire set, like the roof coming off of the of <laughs> that the, was all crazy. That kind of stuff. Like they they I've read that they have shot that exactly one time. Um, because of because of that reason the p51 that you were talking about alex that the guy next to you um tom's working on that p50 or excuse me maverick is working on that p51 that is actually tom cruise's personal p51 airplane that he flies it is so um it's uh it's that's such a gorgeous plane to watch fly through the air it sounds better than any plane will ever sound other than of course a fighter jet but like the sound of a p51 Rolls Royce engine from World War II era, man. Just, just a gorgeous plane, and I loved that it. it got featured at the end. I loved it, but I loved Hondo. I loved everything about that opening scene. It had a lot of that Halo Mission Impossible, that Halo jump um, that he did, and it just, it, it all worked for me. It got Iron Man three vibes when he blew up and then wandered into a town in what I think is Tennessee and just came yeah. across the Explorer watch. But that all really worked well for me. It set the pace of the film of going. This is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. So were you mad then when he allowed Miles Teller to work on his plane? Do you think, you know? No, I like Rooster. I just don't like <laughs> Miles Teller. <laughs> that's, what, oh, that's what I'm saying, though. As, you know, as a scene, they're like, hey, we're going to have uh, Miles. You're going to touch Tom Cruise's plane. And Tom's <laughs> like, we did, that wasn't in the script. Excuse He's me? He's going to do what now? He's going to do what? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so, were you, Mike, were you thinking at all? Man, I really thought that ship was going to go into space. I feel like they could, he could have if he wanted. It was it was getting close. I mean, you've got to in, in order to hit certain speeds, you have to get above a certain level with the atmosphere anyway. So you know there are a number of those really fast airplanes. They get kind of lower atmosphere as is anyway to to break away from some of the the forces that are down here. Yeah, like a hundred thousand um, feet in altitude, like they're pretty high up there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought that whole sequence was was great. It makes a lot of sense that he's a test pilot. I love the line, you know. Uh, it's a little bit after this, but when they, they he's called in before John Hamm and and uh, the other Admiral Warlock, and you know they say you were a Top Gun instructor. He says yeah for two weeks, and it's I think it's such an interesting in you know he owns it, but it's such an interesting indictment. You know you're probably thinking to yourself, you know at the end of the first Top Gun film, he goes I'm going to go back and teach, and then immediately it's like nope, 
you can't you can't you can't pull me out of that you know and he's you know charlie you know kelly mcgillis's character in the first movie nails it she's like you're not going to be happy unless you're racing mach 5 with your hair on fire yeah and like and she she nails him on it so um him being a test pilot just seemed to make sense there needed to be something that would get him in trouble and you know so then he has the same essentially the same scene with ed harris that he had that he and goose have with uh, you know, with their their captain on the, the the aircraft carrier and Top Gun, where he's like, "I got to do this thing I don't want to do. I got to give you your shot. I got to send you two clowns to Miramar." Like, it's the same thing where Ed Harris wants to shut him down. Um, the other the other quick you know quick thing that I liked about what they did with Ed Harris in that opening is they were working on developing a sequel to this for quite some time that actually was going to more heavily feature a drone program where he was actually going to have to train drone pilots. And so the fact that they didn't totally abandon that idea and that they actually made this about like, look, this is a dying art of being a real dogfighter, and that, you know, automation is hitting everywhere, even in the U S military. Like it, it was a really nice thing to, and they, they carried that well over them when he's training the team in that there's nobody else in the world who can do what he does anymore. Yep. You know, the fact is, in real life, he is older now than Tom Skerritt was when Tom Skerritt played Viper and was the commander of Top Gun and Top Gun. Wow. Mike, bonus points if you can give us Viper's actual character's name. Commander Mike Metcalf. You're the man. Nice. <laughs> Don't ask me. I won't win any of those points. <laughs> <laughs> what is Maverick's actual name, Alex? Yeah. Uh, oh, Pete. Uh, yes. Pete it starts with a B. No, no, Pete You're, Mitchell. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Yes. Work. Okay. All right. I got. I got a little bit. I got a little bit. Um. Yeah. I, I felt the same way though when the when he you know go. I was like, dude, and they they all got upset with him, right? He's like, you got Mach ten. Do not go over Mach ten. And then the whole thing blows up, and I just kept thinking, he's done. Like they just lost more money on that plane explosion than they would have gotten in funding to continue working on the plane. Um, but it was, I, I like that again, every time it was like, he, he gets out of it, but you, you really make a good call. Mike, he, he's, he, it's kind of like a lot of other movies where, you know, what am I supposed, it's like what Bucky says in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? When she's like, you know, you're free now. And he's like, to do what? And you know, this is, this is all Maverick knows is going fast. And, and once you hit that speed, I mean, and I love that too, because the very next scene is him on the road on a bike. And he's just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. That's fine. But I'm cruising on this bike and I'm going really fast. Like he has to always have the wind in his hair. He has to be going top speed at all times. I love it. I may or may not have been swerving in and out of lanes at 35 miles an hour driving home. after the movie. <laughs> the Turn your car into a convertible. Radio <laughs> cutting in and out gag worked well for me too. I thought oh, that, that was, was pretty good. That yeah. was hilarious. I thought that I thought the beginning really set the tone for this film. Yeah, it did. And it let you know, too, that like, yeah, even though he is older and this is an older Tom Cruise, that it's still Maverick and he hasn't changed that much in this time. If anything, he's gotten more reflective. And that's that's the one thing that I do remember is that he was the, you know, the obvious the hot shot, no pun intended, in the first movie. Um, and now he's a little more wise and he's obviously still a little cheeky. But for the most part, he he's like wanting to do better and he want he's got this whole shadow now with everything that happened with goose as well uh and it, it was interesting too seeing him go back for that first time to be with everyone that was one of the scenes that i laughed at pretty hard in the trailers 
when um, Phoenix says they got the best pilots in the world to come here. Who do they think is going to train us? Uh, who do you think? It's Tom Cruise. But uh, again, it worked really well. You know, they're all partying at the bar again. Reminded me a lot of that scene in Hot Shots where they're playing the piano at the bar, which again was also from the first Top Gun movie. So um, I, I was kind of mad that they kept making him pay for all of the drinks, though. I mean, that, that gag was decent enough. But I was like, that's got to be like, hundreds of dollars that she's just teasingly making him pay because his phone is on the counter i don't know what do you think about that Brian? do you know who she is Did jennifer you... connelly no 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 the character the character okay yes actually thank you i was gonna ask i'm looking at the cast list she was not in the original movie as far as i remember unless she was a kid that's why uh, that's why i'm asking you so yeah you... i have no idea i kept trying in to remember the original in the original top gun when the bald guy we just talked about it, either you're going to be flying a cargo plane out of rubber of rubber dog crap out of Hong Kong. You had a history of high control or high speed passes over five air controlled towers and one admiral's daughter. And Goose leans the Maverick and he says, Penny Benjamin, Penny Benjamin okay. is that character. So okay. yeah. when I discovered on IMDb that her name was Penny Benjamin, I went straight to Mike and we both had a, uh, a freak out. But then they talk about how not only did he fool around with the Admiral's daughter, he literally took her up in a plane and did a bunch of stuff that he that Which he gives a whole new literal meaning to when Meg Ryan in the first movie is is teasing Maverick in front of Kelly McGillis and, and she says, you know, oh, you remember that time you went ballistic, ballistic with Penny Benjamin? Going ballistic, you figure, just means they were hooking up. No, going ballistic means he literally took her up in an F-18 <laughs> and broke the sound barrier. But to go back to your original question about the bar, like all of that, I love that Maverick was actually because I what I didn't want was for Hangman or or somebody to be like, holy crap, you're Maverick. Like yeah, I had no idea who was. Top Gun for two months. Like he shouldn't have a reputation, and therefore he didn't. He was Charlie from the first movie, where they're going to class the next day and finding out that they made a fool of themselves in front of their instructor. So all of that worked really well for me. The Penny Benjamin stuff I all thought was really good. I liked the relationship that she had with her daughter. I think everything about yeah. Jennifer Connelly was 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 great. I was far more interested in that love story than I was Charlotte Blackwood. No offense to Charlie from the original, but I uh, I was more invested because it didn't feel like it was. It felt like it was just a part of the story rather than the story. I think is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I the question I had, or I guess maybe a small nitpick was I, I thought the relationship, not that it felt rushed, but there, there was a moment when uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what moment it was, but she like she they disappeared. She was gone. She went on a boating trip with her daughter for a little while. And then there was like just the next scene was them riding on a motorcycle together. And I was like, oh, OK. And then they went to the house and had the same scene from the original movie, which I'm calling out now, too, from Hot Shots is when Ramada, he he cooks bacon on her chest. He uh, he flips an olive from her belly button into her mouth. And then there's a bit, too, where he's got an ice cube and he's like dancing it around, <laughs> uh, which, again, it was exactly the same way. Right. Of like, you know, him looking down at her and her looking up from the bed, which was again, I was like, OK, nice callback. But at the same time, I was like, did I miss something? And I obviously missed the, the bit of them having a fling earlier that was kind of mentioned. I don't know. I just felt like maybe they could have had like one more scene because she kept on saying like, I don't want him back in my life. Like I'm kind of trying to separate from him. And same thing. She said, don't break my mom's heart again. 
which I thought was very adult of her. But I just, what was the disconnect that I had? Or did I? I guess I'll ask Mike. I I think, I don't know. Real, real quick, I'll just chime yeah, in. Yeah. I think it's the that fact that Mike and I knew who Penny Benjamin was and they had a 35-year-old relationship. I didn't have those feelings because I genuinely felt it was an on-again, off-again thing for 35 okay. years and just, I can't quit you, like, yeah. kind of thing. So, therefore, because I knew that reference, that worked fine for me. It didn't feel rushed. If you didn't know that reference, like, like we just told you about it, I can see why you would feel that way. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think they hinted a bunch at the fact that, you know, they were they were on again, off again. It was kind of like that couple that's meant to be, but the timing is never quite right. Um, I I also liked the fact that, you know, we know who Maverick is, but the fact that he had to get taken down a couple of pegs in the bar scene and that she takes him down a couple of pegs. I think it's important, like if if he's always the badass and there's nothing at stake, then it's boring. But like the fact that he actually has to go out there and like whoop their butts in order to be in, in order to make this thing stick. I thought was great. I also love the fact that they keep his character defined so well because he is still living with this trauma. So there's, there's a, a line. Um, I think Brian, keep me honest. Is it, is it, is a goose that says it to him that, you know, it feels like you're flying with a ghost up there. Yes. Um, so you know that was more about a reference to his dad at the which is a reference to his dad which is that his his dad you know died in combat um and he didn't really have answers for it and you know he's now kind of replaced that trauma with the trauma the fact that his best friend you know his brother basically died while he was flying an airplane so um without it and again somehow they did it without it feeling sappy without it feeling cheesy like and the way that they played the flashbacks in the film i felt was so artfully done that you could have never seen the first top gun and you would totally understand what it was and totally get the relationship with him and rooster um i thought that that was just efficient enough and and you gotta love miles i'm sorry you gotta love miles teller actually playing the piano and singing yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually a big Miles Teller fan. I'm looking forward. I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to start watching the offer on, on Paramount plus where he, he plays one of the producers of, uh, of the Godfather. And it's about how the Godfather was produced. Oh, nice. Um, I love whiplash to pieces. Like yes. Brian, have you seen whiplash in your, your, your desire to want to punch Miles Teller in the face? That may have been where it started. I've seen whiplash really? once and it's been a little while. I, I can whiplash is one of those movies from the last 10 years that I can virtually watch on repeat. I, he, he and JK Simmons to me, like are just like magic. That's where I fell in love with JK Simmons though. So, yeah, that's actually for me as well. That, and that movie was where I, I recognized miles Teller. I thought JK was the better of the two of them, but he, when you talk about punching him in the face, Brian, I felt like that movie punched him in the face in the sense of like, if you didn't like miles Teller, that's the movie to watch because he just gets wrecked the entire movie by that guy. Well, and to come full circle here, I mean, the place where we all really fell in love with JK Simmons is when he was playing Dr. Emil Skoda on law and order. Oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) I actually learned an interesting fact. Did you, did you know that he has been the voice of the yellow M&M since the beginning? I did know that. I did not know that. Yeah, really? yeah. And you could, if you now that you know, the next time you hear it, you can tell. Because I'm I never no going to be able to. When I did, it. I was like, when he said, "That's an envelope," and the the <laughs> uh, the AMC thing, um, oh, you'll notice it now for sure. Oh. You know what? He would have been good in this movie. 
I would have loved J.K. Simmons, but as, it was almost uh, in, too on the nose. I love John Hamm, but I feel like he would have been a good John Hamm's character. He would have been outstanding. Well, I like that John Hamm's character is he's supposed to have graduated Top Gun a year after Tom Cruise. So oh, nice. Tom okay. Cruise that makes sense. They, they could be too because they, they they mentioned that he's class of '87 and and Maverick came through in class of '86. So and the fact that they're both Tom they're eight? both Top Gun pilots of the same generation, you know, it doesn't matter that Ham's a little bit younger. And, you know, as they said, you should be at least a two-star admiral by now. And that's where Warlock is. Warlock's a two-star admiral and John Hamm is a three-star admiral. Um, I, I love the fact that they were, they, were, they were like literal peers. They could have been in top, they could have been in the top, the same Top Gun class if, um, you know, if Cougar hadn't, you know, lost it in Top well, Gun. You know, the year after it might have been Maverick if you get that it went in there at the same time. And Maverick only stuck around for two months. Like, is Cyclone at the center of potentially why he only stuck around for two months? Like, it's po- at least it's possible he could have left well, him high and dry. Well, see, a Cyclone could have been in his, could have been in the class that he taught. That's a really I hadn't even thought of that. Like, so so if he came back to teach and, and he, Cyclone and is the class the year Cyclone. after, there's there's the distinct possibility that Cyclone could have been up there for like one lesson with Maverick and then he left and he's like, who's that chump? Yeah. Wow. Maybe that's a reason why. And I loved that. That was one of my favorite bits from the movie was just how he started openly being like, I don't like you. And the only reason that you're here is because Iceman is, you know, the one who's kind of getting you to come here. And then I, as sad as it was, I really liked that the minute that he passed away, he was like, all right, we're getting him out of here. He's done. <laughs> like, that's how much he didn't like him. But to me that, and we're skipping ahead, but like that, that was my favorite part of the movie was, and the whole rest of it became my favorite, but like the minute that he was like, I'm running the show now. And then you heard over the mic and he's like, all right, mark it for two fifteen, And I was just like, no way. And then you just see it on John Hamm's face of him, like slowly being like, okay, this guy's actually awesome. And <laughs> Warlock too was just, he starts cheering and fist bumping towards the end. I thought uh, it was Warlock, cool to see him win him over. I thought Warlock was great. Like they had it in the trailer and it, it hit the same for me in the film of, I didn't expect to be invited back. They're called orders, Maverick. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that is, I think that is great. But Alex, I want to ask you something, and I think I was surprised at how well it worked from the standpoint of the first, the first movie. It's the entire goal of the film is graduation, knowing that there's going to be explosions and stuff later on. I think that we spent an hour with those pilots learning their route, learning what they need to accomplish up over the mountain blow everything up so when it happens for real you're on that ride with those pilots knowing what's coming next and then i mean it's a little bit on the nose from the standpoint of of rooster's laser doesn't work so he can just do it without like very luke skywalker use the force level stuff yeah yeah, but like i mean i kind of rolled my eyes at that a little bit but i just didn't care but i i honestly think that they trained the audience to go on that mission with those pilots that when we saw it for real, we kind of had that same anticipation. Okay, you got two and a half minutes. You got to stay below 100 feet. You've got to do all that kind of stuff. I think they really drilled that into you, and I think it worked really well, and I think it helped a lot of people enjoy it that much more. Yep, yeah, I absolutely did, and knowing not not a lot about it, the only thing I had seen was in another movie. I don't remember what it was. They did that two-minute clip of the original training montage of him making everybody do the push-ups, and I kind of got upset when I saw it just because I was like, like, I... I would have wanted to see this during the movie, but as I was watching it, I was like, 
I, I need more of those planes, man. Like the, the plane scenes were so good. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. Like when that bit happened and they go back in for the real run in my head, I was like, yup, yup. You're supposed to be like turning and staying under and Oh, there's the sand missiles. And so, yeah, you, you could look at it from a very superficial view of, again, this movie literally is, is rinse and repeat during the movie, right. Of you're doing the same thing over, but I think it worked because I kept going like, Oh man, like be careful. with. And then when the sand missiles went off, I'm like, Oh no, like this is what you guys were planning to avoid. Well, but then they've got the flares. And so it was like, it, it felt like you were a part of the team almost. To, yeah. To I mean, from the I, beginning and get there. I mean, I think again, that gets back to the simplicity of the story. Right. Yes. And, and yeah. why that kind of mission impossible oceans 11, same thing when you're on in oceans 11, right? Like they talk about the fact that they're going to, they're going to wedge the contortionist in the little, right. the little case. And then, he can't touch anything. He's going to set off the alarm. Like the fact that they've walked you through the plan and then you have to follow through on the plan is again, it's super effective. One, it adds to that intensity too, because like you're saying in these instances, like oceans 11, right? You know, the, the movie's going and you're going, I know what's going to happen. And then the, the things yeah. don't happen, right? Things go wrong. And so I think they played that to their advantage to say, well, what if we just make everything go right? Because they're expecting something to go wrong throughout. And yeah, the laser isn't working. And oh, the SAM missiles are going off. But I actually thought it was great that no one died at the end. Because you had a, a bit of loss and clearly a huge loss to Maverick in the first movie. And that would have been terrible to have that happen again. But then the duality of his son saving him uh, in the same way. And, and actually, I, I got chills during the, the movie when he, um, he kept, kept saying, talk to me, Goose. But then you hear him say, talk to me, dad. And I was just like, wow, like that. Again, you talk about a simple plot and simple writing. Like anyone could have come up with those lines, but they were set at the perfect moment, just on time. And uh, yeah, it's just, man, like, and then the fact is it, they made it seem so seamless and easy, but that has got to be one of the most impossible like plane maneuvers that I have ever seen. And they, they go to lengths throughout the movie to show you just how hard it is. You got the one guy passing out as he's trying to go up and they keep missing everything. But then when it happens and you're like, yep, yep. Okay, good. Awesome. You got the first one. Great. And then they go up the side of the mountain and you're like, all right, easy peasy. But it's like, no, it's actually not that easy to be doing that. Like you're, you're hitting nine G's going vertically up a mountain. And again, they capture it cinematically, but because it's such a simple concept, it makes you enjoy the scenes more because you're not thinking about the, Oh, how is this possible? And, and because you've seen it done a couple times already throughout the training, that inverted dive up and over that mountain before they drop the bomb. Oh yeah. The just, oh. Oh, cool. It's I, so, I think the plan was to launch the Sam's after they, they dropped the, the bombs at that point. I think that right. was, it was like, it was unavoidable at that point. Yeah, yeah. They knew that once you got over the hill, it was going to be, you were going to have to outrun the, the fifth generation fighters. Right. And, dodge the, the the surface to air missiles the shot that blew my mind that i i i verbally said something i don't need i, I there were there, there were there was some sort of yeah was the moment when they're they're in the f-14 at the end making a run for it and they're he's in the dog fight with the fifth generation fighter and the fifth generation fighter basically pulls his own pull the brakes of fly right by moment and that plane just leaps it just flips up there and leaps and locks back in how the hell they got that shot yeah like, and they the air on the side the of the, the ship the and all pilot, that the oh. pilot did this i mean the 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 guys who, clearly even if even if drones are phasing these folks out 
the skill that these pilots still have oh my goodness that 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 shot alone was 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 just I, the second i saw it I was like i have to watch that again i was like i have to come back and see this just to watch that over and over and over again yeah, yeah, that shot that shot was that shot was absolutely incredible. We did get a little more Mission Impossible than I was expecting, like actual ground attacks and and the helicopter staring him down. The helicopter right, part right. of him staring him down. That was when I was like, eh, okay, like but then Rooster yeah. comes in and saves the day. But then like it was all worth it to hijack an F14 Tomcat. So Yeah, that give that for the rest of my days. Yeah, I mean, I think I said that to you too, Brian. Like that was the one part of the movie that like I ultimately just had to go, I'm forgiving this. They're in an F-14. But when he was on the ground, I was a little bit like, eh, I don't watch Top Gun to watch them on the ground. And then <laughs> the kind of rooster to save the day moment was a little over the top, but then paid off really well with the, you know, the the big, you know, they run up and the big bear hug. And it's like, I saved your life. Well, I saved, <laughs> I saved your life. So then yeah. you didn't have what, to come back and save my life. What were you thinking? You said not to think. For five yeah. minutes, he was Ethan Maverick Hunt instead of Pete Maverick. <laughs> yeah, he was sprinting go. in those woods. Did you see? He looked good. Of course, he I was just crew. Yeah, I was like, you know, now Top Gun is officially in the in the Tom Cruise canon. Like, because even the, so, I don't know if you guys had this too, but they had the trailer for for Mission Impossible mm-hmm. Seven beforehand, and I was like, oh man, it's contagious. Now it's not just Tom Cruise sprinting; it's Simon Pegg too. <laughs> They're all there's going to be a scene of them all sprinting in a direction for. Some I mean, I, but it's only going to be it's only going to pay off if we get to see Simon Pegg reload the biceps the way that uh, the way that, that, that <laughs> we get from, <laughs> that we get from Henry Cavill. That is. Oh yeah. Oh, that's oh man. See, and that's what I was talking about. I was telling Brian that like I'm really looking forward to that Mission Impossible movie because the last few have been so good, and I just. You just saying that that whole Henry Cavill in that movie was nuts. He again just, authenticity the the fight scene and how they I, if you, they, yes. it's on YouTube they have a behind the scenes of of Tom and Henry and the uh, the, the 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 Asian stunt performer who who they fight. Oh my goodness, the, just the detail that they go into is amazing. Except for if you watch it again, Henry Cavill when he cocks his arms like that, a pocket appears on his left breast. Oh my! During the movie. Like legit, I will wow. sh- I will send you guys the video. It's hilarious. Interesting. And Marvel's busy trying to edit the mountains at the end of WandaVision. They couldn't be working on this. Correct. Fixed in something like that. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I will say in that in that trailer, uh, he didn't look as good as he did in this movie. And I I don't know if that's on purpose. Did you notice that at all? There were some scenes where I was like, Tom, you are looking gone. This like, film he- this was filmed in like 2017, 18. Maverick was. Yeah, like I remember like Super Bowl 2020, like Miles Teller was on Radio Row promoting this film because this film was supposed to oh, come out yeah. July or July of 2020. So but this was film, a couple years. Yeah, 20, 2019 was was when they wrapped up. 2019. On okay. So and then Mission Impossible 7 was filming during the pandemic because Tom Cruise was basically oh, having an earth and putting everything financially through to make sure they could keep going because he knows he's hitting 60 like he's he's getting up there and they've already filmed part seven and eight so part two of oh okay yeah what is the new one called i can't remember Uh, i like the mission impossible film the last mission part one i can't wait i can't wait for it yeah and Haley atwell's in it come on that's yeah yeah give me that um i'm trying to think there's a couple of other moments that i think i i really like i loved phoenix i thought she was great and awesome I, i i especially loved though that 
there were not a lot of teases towards her. Like, obviously, you're going to get a couple of those script-wise because it's a bunch of dudes in the military sort of thing. But, like, I love that it was typically... It was very like highbrow disses. If I'm trying, I'm trying to remember them, but it was usually just about like man or woman, and it was like, yeah, we get it. But it was never like, oh, you you can't do this because you're a woman. There was like the the bar was already set that she could because she was a part of the team. So it was almost like just light teasing, which I, I was really happy for. But she was a cool character. Like I I, I just loved the team dynamic of all of them, but Hangman, just of that there was camaraderie like they, they helped each other out there was none of the like classic oh this guy's the one who's going to break apart the team and all like even hangman didn't really do that well, he brought people together almost well there was a bit of that i mean actually I, the other part of, again the where i just thought the writing was so crisp i mean they did such a great job of creating all of the interrelationships and all of the conflict at like the senior character level and then they did the same thing within the team where it's rooster's too afraid to push it hangman doesn't have your back um and you know if there was a weak link among the bunch you know you know kind of the 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 one that you 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 figured that everybody would pick on but he actually like immediately won everyone's respect was bob right bob's my favorite of the whole team (laughs) i mean aside from of course you gotta like rooster but like bob was my favorite like here's a guy who's you know, for all intents and purposes, he's he's not really a, a, a fighter pilot. He's he's he used to fly in the stealth. The whole point was that he's he's there because he's the guy who's going to drop the bombs. Right. Um, and he's he's kind of like the more kind of precisiony guy. I, I thought the whole the whole dynamic of like who's going to be there for who and who's going to take care of who, and even with Hangman, like again, the kind of like uh, the kind of millennial entitlement among among all of them where it's like you know no one's you know maverick's like no one's ever pushed these kids no one's ever told them that they you know that anything's been hard and they they prove out that you know they have no combat experience because when they say hangman's the only one in the bunch with a confirmed kill and they're like yeah because you shot down like a korean war era f4 like it's not even a it's not even a real airplane by today's standards yeah i I loved I loved all the team. Like you said, Bob was Bob won everybody over. I think Bob was a lot of fun. Hangman had the best helmet. Uh I loved Oh him. yeah, the yeah, that was Dashes. Cool. I thought that was I thought that was really great. I thought Hangman was great. I think he played the Iceman character of just a jerk and and everything like that perfectly. I think he was I think he was good. I think Rooster being afraid to push it because he doesn't want to basically kill himself. Like the whole mission of like you're thinking rooster maybe actually like come out and be able to pull it off, like be the first guy to pull it off. Or like, you need to go faster. If you want to do this, you're thinking like Rooster's going to be right. And he's absolutely not correct. And it's like Maverick getting called out in the first one of, of Charlie says that she sees real, uh, real, she really admires his flying, but it's dangerous and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think hangman being the Iceman character and not, but Phoenix, I think grounding Phoenix as one of the more capable pilots, and then she still finds herself in trouble later on because she makes a bad mistake of relighting her engine when Maverick's trying to tell her not to. Um, but Phoenix being like calling him Bagman and really being able to give it back to him, I think really grounded her character as kind of the leader of the group. And then obviously putting her in the mission worked really well. Phoenix and Bob were a great team, but Hangman on the Alert 5 aircraft being actually the one that kind of saves the day when they're in the F 14. You kind of forgot about him sitting there. They don't. They don't cut back to John Hamm and say, okay, I launched the Alert 5 aircraft because they don't know, for one. Uh, but it just, 
I don't know. The whole team was was a lot of fun. Plus, we got uh, Danny Ramirez from Falcon. Yes. Winter. Our new Falcon is a fanboy. Yeah, yeah he did well, a good I, job. Well, I was about to, just literally about to say when you said his name, my, my favorite call sign by far was fanboy. Yeah, right. It was that good. Was good. Uh, and there's there's a piece there, too. I'm trying to. Uh, oh, yeah, that he so like they, they did a really good job of I don't know. It was very easy to guess like they're going to get saved at the last minute, but because they kept flashing back to ham saying, no, don't do that. No, we're pulling out. And so it, it kind of got to the point where I was like, oh, oh okay i mean and it makes logical sense right like let's just bring everybody back and they even had the scene with hangman where he was like let me let me at him and they're like no you need to stay there and he's like ah and so when that that end piece came i was like so what are they gonna do they're just gonna land i guess in the ocean and then the plane blew up and i was like oh yes like awesome and then he was really nice to to rooster and he was like hey you got this buddy like good job and i was like okay i like that i like the way that they did that I thought they were going to, I genuinely thought it was possible. I didn't think they would. I thought it was possible that they would kill Maverick. When I knew Rooster was with him, I knew right. that it wasn't over. I, it, it does feel like Tom Cruise kind of, I don't, I don't know if Ethan Hunt's going to die at the end of Mission Impossible 8. I mean, that's probably what we need um, to close out the Mission Impossible era. But I, I thought they might be able to, to kill Maverick because at this point, I just hope they don't rush a third film. I, I just hope they, they leave leave what it's at. And if it took 35 years to get to this one, I would assume they're just going to leave it. I think they're done. I think, I think they're totally done. I mean, even in the, in the way that Jerry Bruckheimer described it in, in some of the, uh, the promotional materials, he's like, never since the first film has anyone ever truly accurately filmed flight in the way that this does and probably never will again. Yeah. And if it's you're paying 11,000 an hour to use those planes, it's probably going to be a long time till you do it in because the prices are just going to go up as the, the planes get fancier. There's Plus, so, I mean, it, it ended at so such a nice shots. spot, too. Like, I, I, I don't know what more you can tell. Like, he's he's made peace. I don't get why Jennifer Connelly or someone else didn't tell Rooster about his mom. That part, I kind of was like, someone else should say it. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I'm, I, I thought it was cool that. Uh, Maverick wasn't and chose not to, but I, I felt like someone could have been like, "Hey, man, like you need to know that this guy like actually cares about you," and he he's able to kind of share that himself. But I was expecting some other person to kind of tell him. But by the end of it, they're good. They're good buddies. He sees all the photos that he has of him at the place, and he's like, "Okay, cool." So I mean, what's next? You would just follow them on another mission, and Maverick wouldn't be there, and, and that's the whole point of it at this point is Maverick. So I, I would doubt that they're going to make another one. But again, that's a a lot of money they'd be walking away from, but maybe they make a different plane movie. That's an original movie about planes in space. Maybe, maybe we'll never know. Some stealth, some SR 71s fighting dinosaurs. I'm, I'm coming up with these ideas in Hollywood. Maybe <laughs> Dane, maybe Dane Cook could voice a uh, animated plane. Oh yeah. We could have Vin. You said Vin Diesel. No, I said Dane Cook. Oh, we could have Dane Cook and Vin Diesel voicing planes from, but Vin Diesel would be a car that turns into a plane and then goes into space. With so ludicrous. We're there. <laughs> yes. Both, it would be, and it is, yes. I, I I loved this movie. I've only seen it once. I can't wait to go back and see it again. The $11,000 an hour, like, staggering all the pilots. Like, I need to watch, I need to sit through the credits again to just see who all the pilots are just to do my due diligence just to say that's awesome because – the, the the sequences in that film 
worth every penny because man, they got some incredible shots, literal, literal live action shots of those airplanes that, like you said, we just may never ever see it again. And and I'm I would be curious to look two, three, five years from now and see what the naval recruitment numbers look like because there was an absolute boom in the late 80s following Top Gun. So, you know, part of, you know, the, the movie was kind of called Navy Propaganda, but, you know, it, it was it was meant to just be a, a really great film, but the, the, the true side effect of it was people went, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And the Navy had a huge, a huge jump and, you know, be interesting to see a couple of years from now if if you get more more Navy or more Air Force, you know, off the back of this. Yeah, there was a good line too. Do you remember that line in the movie where he said something like when they were on the boat together, and she's like, "Wait, you've never been on the you're in the Navy," and he's like, "I've only ever been in the air." Well, <laughs> well, trivia question: Who's what's what's the other Tom Cruise movie where somebody says the same thing to Tom Cruise? Of what you've never been in the, on water before. Then a few good men, you know, oh, okay. they they have, they have to go to Cuba, and he's like, wait, wait a minute, I have to get on a boat, and and Demi Moore says to says to him, you know, geez, I'm crow, Kathy, you're in the Navy for crying out loud. <laughs> Maybe Tom Cruise is not allowed on water. Maybe he can't get wet. After and don't feed him after midnight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, that's the other. I got to call this out before we start wrapping up. Is that he? was unabashedly short in this movie. And I loved that. Did you notice that at all? When he's standing side by side with Rooster, Rooster was a foot taller than him. Yeah, he when he was with Jennifer Connelly, they were the same height. I, I was like, you know what? For every, for like, uh, was it uh, Robert Downey Jr. You get all the shots of him wearing those giant platform shoes to be taller. I don't think he did. I don't think Tom did that. I think he was like, oh. you know what? I'm a badass. Well, no, he's owning it now, but go back to the original film, and it's great. The, the Honest trailer for Top Gun calls this out. They do everything in their power to make sure that he doesn't seem short. So they have him when he's in okay. scenes with Viper, where he's like up a little bit on a hill. They have him walking behind Charlie so that he appears to be the same height as her. When he has conversations with Goose, Goose is sitting down because Anthony Edwards is so tall. Like, they do everything they can in the original film to try and balance the height <laughs> out. So I hadn't noticed that. I'm glad you called that out now. But again, it goes in his favor this time around. He can't just be the total badass. It has to be that he is younger than these folks, but he's got that killer instinct that they don't. Yep. Yeah. So maybe that's part part of his ego too. Maybe he'd noticed that as like, you know what? I'm I'm okay being a little shorter than the, this is the next generation. I'm just gonna pass it to them or something. And I'm fully convinced he's just standing on a milk crate in that scene where they're getting yelled at in the original Top Gun because he's right next to Goose and there's like six inches difference between the two actors and there is not in that shot in the biz. They call it an apple box. I bet. Oh, not a soap box. That? No, yeah. but that's quite literally what it is. These little wooden blocks. They call them apple boxes. There you go. Well, Mike, any final thoughts on top gun as we wrap up? I can't wait to see it again. I, I, I really am blown away that they pulled it off so well. It's, it's the most exciting thing. I, I, I think I've been lucky. The last two movies I've seen in the theater were this and Everything Everywhere All at Once. And both were just mind-blowingly great. So I, I hope that the rest of the year with some of the other things that are coming our way uh, can, can, can keep up with this because it's an exciting time to go back to the movies. Yeah, totally agree with that. What about you, Brian? 
Alex, I'll do it for you. If you want to hear more about everything, er, everything, everywhere, all at once, go back in the comics and cinema archives on Nerd Life Network or anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can catch that episode. Thank you, uh, I have I have nothing more to say than Mike did. Can't wait to see it again. I am glad I love this film because it genuinely did have a high bar for to set for me, and I got nervous, like thinking there's no way they could do it. And I can't say that it's better than the original, but I can't say it's worse. And I'm thrilled by that statement. It's kind of got to be like the best spot to be is at least as good as the first one, you know, whether or not we'll see in in time if that changes. And I think you had mentioned this as well about the the fighter pilots. And I I just, I got to think how cool that must be for them because that's kind of like a CIA type job where Right. You go home. You can't really talk about it. You can't really share, you know, oh, well, I flew planes today. Like, oh, what was that like? Yeah, you wouldn't understand. Now it's like, yeah, go watch Top Gun. That's me right there. And like flipping that giant fifth gen plane like that is pure bragging rights. So hopefully hopefully they do get some call outs going for them because that was that is awesome. So I, I've got I've got a bold question for you guys. So, you know, I think I think you put it really well, Brian. You know, it's, it may not be better, but it's certainly not worse than the original. If you think of the pantheon of sequels, you know, you've got Alien and Aliens, you've got Star Wars and Empire, you've got Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Is, is this, does this rank up there as one of those where you can debate the quality of the sequel with the original? You know, is, 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 this, is this in the same conversation as Empire, Godfather 2, Aliens, Dark Knight? Shrek 2 and Shrek. Um you uh you threw out the you threw out the best of them i i i personally would consider it in that because of the expectations that i personally had for it i don't know what the general public's expectations were for this film i really don't i know they're marketing the crap out of this film and it's everywhere and they really it's everywhere everything all at once but (laughs) they want everybody to go out and see they out and see this film i don't know what the general audience expected the general audience doesn't love the original like I do people love, love, love the original top gun, but Mike, you and I are on a different level when it comes to how much we love that original film. So I think our expectations, I just can't believe they did it. But empire for me is, is always going to be the greatest sequel of all time because it's my favorite movie of all time. So it's hard to really top that. But when it came to what my expectations were and my nostalgia and my love for the original film, it's top three, probably like, I love Batman Begins, but I think The Dark Knight is an extremely superior film. Um, extremely, maybe a little heavy, but but still, yeah. So to answer your question, I would put it in that conversation. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't, and that's probably for the same exact reason of I did not have those similar expectations. Again, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie growing up, so I. But I would say I, I probably liked this one more than the other ones, specifically for that realistic feel. Uh, and also because there wasn't a beach volleyball scene in this one. As much as I loved and laughed at that scene in the first one, I like that. There, there was a beach football, football scene. There's a, well, right. That's what I'm saying. I, I like the beach football better than the beach volleyball just because it felt a little more natural almost. Like I liked that Ham showed up and he's like, you know, this is kind of how you you develop a team. I don't know. Like They, they kind of <laughs> threw it in. That might be a discussion for another time, but – um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it, I think, more than the first one. And I do want to see it again now, especially knowing all the knowledge you guys dropped in this episode that I wasn't aware of. I, I feel like I have to see it again with new eyes. I will point out, too, uh, IMDb currently has 
Uh, I think Metacritic's got it at like an ace. It's it's good. It's a lot of positive reviews, but then it's at an eight point seven on IMDb from the user ratings, which is Dude. really high. For- Dude, so I, I brought up just because I was curious about just what you were saying um, before we jumped on. I brought it up on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a ninety six fresh from the critics and ninety nine from the audience. Yeah, yeah. So I have a feeling, and you know, the true test will be next weekend. Uh, or this weekend, right? Because we're we're in the lull between this and Jurassic World, so the next weekend will be a good a good kind of indicator to see if people go back to check it out again. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my receipt out there. It will lose obviously to Jurassic World probably its first two weeks. I'm gonna claim that Top Gun Maverick is gonna be number one at the box office after Jurassic World comes out at some point. Ooh, that's an interesting. I bet. think people are gonna have the itch to just go back and see it again. Um, I, I I think obviously Jurassic World's gonna be an absolute monster, but I do think that this film's gonna have gonna have legs. It's really curious what Paramount's gonna do with it because if my prediction is to come true, they gotta keep it in theaters longer. And with Sonic 2, they put that on Paramount Plus at the 45 day mark. So if they're doing that with Top Gun 2 as much as I hope they do, just so I can watch this film as much as I want. Um I don't know. Like I, I think this film's gonna have legs though, and I think Paramount knows that. Yeah. And, you know, there's a test there, too, because Jurassic World is coming off of a really bad sequel. Oh, that and, was awful. I hate that movie. Yeah. And, and I love those movies. I love dinosaurs. And, and I'm really excited for this one because there's actually dinosaurs in it. But there could be there's a chance that maybe opening weekend, it, it also is not that good. And so then you see the following weekend Top Gun bumps up because they say, let's just go back to watch a movie we know is good. So that's an interesting prediction, Brian. We'll have to we'll have to we'll monitor that very closely here at Comics and Cinema. Um, Mike, Brian, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come talk about Top Gun. Uh, again, a movie I wasn't as familiar with as you two, but it is always a blessing to have masters join a Padawan like myself in when it comes to uh, Tom Cruise film. So thank you guys so much. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks, Alex. This is awesome. Great, great. Yeah, and for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you at the movies.